A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the Borough Market Podcast with the last in the summer season of Borough Talks the series of public debates about some of the most important issues in today's food. Tim Lang, Professor of Food Policy at City University, is in the moderator's chair tonight with panellists Patrick Holden, organic farmer and founder of the Sustainable Food Trust, Donald Hislop, Head of Regeneration and Community Partnerships at the Tate Modern, Carolyn Steele, author of Hungry City, Richard Swannell, Development Director at RAP, and Sustainable Chef Robin Gill. Before the talk, I checked in with some of the audience to see what they were expecting from the night. I actually work in sustainability marketing, um, so it's a subject that I'm really interested in for work, but also personally. Um, I'm here, I mean, I work in sustainability. I'm also really passionate about food, so it's both of my interests combined. So, what do you think about the panellists? Um, yeah, they're all really interesting people, so I'm looking forward to a really interesting discussion. <laughs> Same reasons. Um, I'm a campaigner for a wildlife charity, but I'm also a massive food lover so hearing Borough talking about sustainable production is really interesting to me. What are you hoping to find out from tonight? I guess from the food side what people care about when it comes to food production and which parts of sustainability really matter to them especially when the government's now looking ahead to what governs the way we farm in the UK you know for the first time in 40-50 years it's really interesting to hear the views from the food side about what the future of UK farming could look like in sustainable terms. I would like to understand, I guess, uh, how, to, how I can shape my diet to uh, have less of an impact. Oh, um, we, we came here for um, a talk earlier in the summer with, uh, with Felicity Cloak and um, we had... A, ingredients of a cookbook. Yes, that's yes. right. And we had a really good evening and it was so good we brought our husbands back. So, um, yeah. Guys, what are you expecting? Uh, yeah, it should be good. I actually know Carolyn Steele uh, from uh, a while back, uh, but I'm looking forward to the talk. It should be interesting. Yeah. Um, Joe Pasquale's going to be good, so I'm looking forward <laughs> to him. The talk, entitled Sustainable Sustenance, Reducing the Impact of Food Production, as you'll hear in a minute, would be provocative and not always positive. So as the panellists came off stage, I asked them what opportunities they could see emerging from what Tim Lang had called the Great Food Transformation. Donald Hislop. I think the opportunity is for people to do something for themselves rather than be done upon to them. So it's about really, we're very much more aligned to having a debate about what we want to do, whether that's going to the doctor or what we eat now. We need to take that and build it into something new. Thank you. Carolyn, what's the opportunity that this great food transformation, as Tim calls it, gives us? Well, I think for 200 years we've forgotten how important food is in our lives. You know, it's just gone to the back burner and actually 
the phenomenal opportunity that we've got is to put food at the centre of our thinking, the centre of our lives, of our economics, our society, our sociability again. And it would be transformative if we did that. But in order to do that, we have to revalue food, by which I mean truly value food, by which I mean end this bizarre fiction of cheap food which doesn't exist and cannot exist. So it's a revolutionary proposal, but it, it, would, it would make the world a much, much better place if we did that. It's not all doom and gloom, is it, Patrick? I think, and I feel this more strongly right now than I have for decades, that young people, the so-called millennials, are interested in food in a way which is truly extraordinary. They are very knowledgeable. Increasingly, they want to eat the right thing and um, are prepared to spend uh, a, a greater proportion of their income on sustainably produced food, to eat more in season and to target their diets to help the great transformation that's necessary. I think that it's possible to feel a bit depressed about the scale of the industrialization that has afflicted our food systems during my farming lifetime. But personally, I feel that we're on the cusp of a big change because of a shift of consciousness which is going on throughout the nation, actually. Not everyone has the information yet to know how they can be part of the solution but I think the energy uh, is there and I think we're at the edge of that change today. Richard Swannell. I think the, the key thing about the opportunity is thinking in terms of wasting a lot less. Currently you know as a globe we're wasting a third of all the food that is actually being produced and the other thing is to think about adopting as much as we can a healthier diet because that will help us. So the opportunity is to create a healthier nation. And that is part of it, but also as an integral into that, wasting a lot less in that process. And that waste that we can't avoid, we make the best use of. So we recycle that either through anaerobic digestion or composting and make sure that goes back into growing more food. Or indeed, actually, do the classic marmite, you know, let's take a waste product, which in this case is brewer's grains, and turn it into a great food product. That type of innovation, those are simple things that we can do that will help us. And Robin Gill. You've got a three-year-old. Yeah. What, does the, what could the world look like if we all do the kind of things that panellists have been talking about? I honestly think things would slow down. You know, I think, I think, you know, we need to get back to this sort of um, incredible Mediterranean lifestyle where people just stop in the afternoon and have a long lunch. And it's like, yeah, we've done our work, we've done it in the morning, and then we sit up with a family and have a bottle of wine and actually sit together. And then it's like, oh, yeah, oh, let's go back to work and then do another couple of hours. And then, you know, but it's, it's, it's but the food is, for me, is the biggest, is one of the biggest, most important things in our life. And we need to be more involved in it and control it more. And, and that's so important. Tim, I'm asking the panellists what the opportunity is. So what does the world look like if we do half the things that the panellists were talking about today? The difficulty is actually the strength. The difficulty is that food it means lots of different things. It's very personal, it's about quality, taste, it's also about culture and social values, it's about health. It's about the environment, these long-distance and long-term impacts. And it's also about cost and economics and people's jobs and work and this huge supply chain. And it's also about trust, governance, decisions that are made. All of that, we tend to group in my world, my academic world, we now group under six headings. Quality, health, environment, 
social and cultural, economic and governance. If we deal with all of those, we shift the food system. If we just say, oh, it's all up to consumer choice, you're trapped. So we've got to accept a complex world. Food is complex. But that makes it simple, actually. It makes it simple. It means we redefine everything. We now know comprehensively that the food system is taking the world, the major cause of climate change, major cause of premature death, is taking the world into a dangerous, unsustainable place. So we have to reverse this. And now we know what to do about it. So the opportunity... The opportunity is to live healthily, to have a more benign environment, to reconnect people to the planet, and to have nicer food. And on to the talk itself. Kate Howell, Director of Development and Communications at Borough Market, opened the evening. Welcome to Borough Market. I'm Kate Howell. I'm Director of Communications here. Uh, Welcome to a packed house. It's great to see so many of you in the finale of our Borough Talk season this evening. I'm soon going to hand over to our panellists. You're in for a scintillating evening. It's a topic that's uh, very close to our hearts here at Borough Market. Uh, The market has always been a place where people have come to share ideas, to learn something new, to learn from the huge experience of our wonderful traders. And tonight is really an extension (laughs) of that. Um, There'll be plenty of time for question and answers, so don't be shy. There'll be microphones around that you'll see, so please, you know, pipe up. There's there's a lot to be said about this topic, uh, particularly at the moment. And there's plenty of time to carry on the conversation both with the amazing food and drink from our traders that you'll get to experience after the talk, but I am also obliged to say we will continue the conversation online across social media channels, so that if that is your want, we are at Borough Market, hashtag Borough Talks. Um, so without further ado, I would like to hand you over to your moderator for this evening, uh, Tim Lang, Professor of Food Policy at City University, and perhaps most importantly, and we are very lucky to say, Borough Market Trustee. Mm-hmm. Have a great evening. Thanks, Kate. Uh, As Kate said, my name is Tim Lang, and I'm not usually called moderate, but a moderator I will answer to. Um, I'm a professor of food policy at City University, just over the river, but I'm here, as Kate said, as a trustee. Indeed, this is my last event as a public event as a trustee of Borough Market, which I've been very proud to serve on and and help for 10 years, so it's been a big slice of my life. Um, But you're not here for me, you're here for our excellent panel. But before I introduce them, I'd like to point out that we've got, for the first time at Borough, um, we've got sign language here. So we've got two marvelous sign language people. Mm -hmm. They're being clapped before the event. (laughs) They're overcome with emotion, they don't normally get this attention. Uh, But anyway, this is terrific. Uh, I'm going to introduce in turn. On my left is Robin Gill, who I asked him, are you really the chef proprietor of so many restaurants? The answer is yes, he is. Not one, not two, not three, but four, only four. Then as Richard Swanell, who is a policy director of RAP, the Waste Resources Action Programme, as it used to be known. Uh, then on his left is Carolyn Steele, who most of you would know as the author of a really wonderful book, uh, Hungry City, which is, brings her skills as an architect, she's a very uh, well-experienced architect, into looking at planning and the role of food in history and the development of cities. Uh, then on his, her left is Donald Hislop, whom I normally and chaired by, he 
is the chair of Borough Market Trustees, but his day job is head of Regeneration and Community Partnerships at Tate Modern, the really awkward little building just over uh, the way. Uh, and I'd like to really pay tribute to Donald. He and I have been on the board for 10 years together, so we've, we've got young together for 10 years. And then last but by no means least is the person I've known longest of all of these people, indeed of anyone in this space. Patrick Holden and I have known each other for about 45 years, uh, but he's uh, probably Britain's best well-known uh, 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 organic farmer. Um, he was for many years at the Soil Association, which is where I first met him in the 1970s, when I too was an organic farmer. Um, but now he runs for the last, how many? Nearly 10 years, eight years, the sustainable, six. six years, only six years, the Sustainable Food Trust. So would you welcome our panel? We were asked to address a very complicated, if not the most complicated issue facing the food system today. The rather awkward phrase was put in our blurb that you obviously answered, which was, what is sustainable sustenance? Well, to me, that's a tautology, but nonetheless, we will have a, a go at teasing that out. So in, I've asked the panelists to only answer two questions. Question one will be, what do they mean by sustainable sustenance? What, is, what does it mean to them? Is it sustainable diet, sustainable food? What's their key issue there? And then I will ask them, what do they want to do about it? What's the big issue that they think we need to address? And I'm going to do that fairly quickly because we then want to turn to you to you to start fire questions. And Claire Ford over there with the, uh, with the red wave, Claire, she will have a microphone and I will have a microphone and we'll come into the audience and you can pose your questions. But I'm going to kick off in turn. I'm going to start this way. Robin, what, what do you mean by sustainable food or sustenance or what? What's, what's your grift? What's the well, problem? Well, I can nearly answer it in one word and it's living. You know, we, we need to live in this planet and we need to survive in this planet and we need to, you know, I, I've gone through the career of being a cook and working just for money and then, and then suddenly realizing the impact of what we're doing um, and, and the importance of earning a crust and the relation of raising a family and then you suddenly become aware of the waste and what you're doing and the impact of that on everything you do. So for you, it's a social issue? Well, it's, no, it's everything. I mean, I, I say the word living. So I need to live to make money. But for, us, for, for, for the future of my child, I have a three-year-old, for, for the future of him and the future of everybody else, we need to be more responsible. So what's the role of food in that? Well, you need to be responsible. I mean, I was brought up uh, in the 90s in the food industry where everything was pre-portioned. So I would get fish in, in, you know, in like a polystyrene box, pre-portioned, uh, 15, 20 portions, exactly. You could specify, I only want the top fillet of cod or I only want fillet of beef and I want it to be 220 grams. And then what happens to the rest of it? Now, I don't believe it's wasted, but after years of working in the industry, I suddenly realized there was a lot of wastage because there's A, the polystyrene box that it arrives in, the packaging, and 
how many animals did it take for me to get my perfect fillet of cod or my perfect fillet of okay, beef? Okay, now you notice, dear audience, do you notice what he's just done? He starts off with living, very grand stuff, and now he's talking about plastic packaging. <laughs> that's our problem. So that's it, very, is. it is. That's what I mean. It's that's, everything. Everybody it does it's it every very, single day. It's a very nice opening statement. We'll go with the waste theme, which you've kicked us off. Richard, what's your problem? Well, I think the food system is in a bad way, Tim. I think it, I mean, it's a key driver of species loss. It's responsible for about a fifth of global carbon emissions, 70% of all our freshwater use, particularly in countries, actually, which can ill afford that. It's, it's, a, it's in a world where one in nine people go to bed hungry and around two billion are overweight or obese. So therefore, it's causing us problems. Oh, and by the way, against all that backdrop, we're throwing away a third of all the food that we produce. Globally. Globally. So for every two tons that's consumed, one ton is wasted. And so when you take that into account, it's really in a bad way. And I think sustainable food system is about taking the food system from being part of the problem, which is what it is now, and making it part of the solution. Okay, we'll come to that in a bit. But we've just broadened the discourse immediately from living to basically ecosystems and waste and business. This is good. Carolyn, you, you, you in your book started addressing this very much around planning, but what's your take? What do you think the problem is? Well, I actually probably combine slightly what Robin and Richard have both just said. I mean, f the formulation I came up with was a sustainable food system is one that sustains a good life. But then the problem there is you then have to decide what a good life is. And for me... That's, that's what we're not doing. Um, and if you put it in the context of global urbanization, population increase, resource depletion, all the things that we know are happening, um, it really comes down to the fact that we need a completely different conception of what a good life is indeed, what a good life looks like in a steady state economy. Um, and food, and this is where I completely agree with Richard, I think food can be and must be absolutely central in our rethinking of the way we live, which means everything from what we get pleasure from to the way we inhabit land and so on. So you're coming back to Robin's very broad opening statement about living, which yep. I thought was both right and very good. Yes. Donald. I mean, I think I'd echo all of those things. I think when I think about a system and maybe what might happen in the future. I want something that's universal. I want something that's for everyone. It's in living memory in the streets around this market, there would be children with rickets and vitamin deficiency. It's only really recently that most people have had access to fresh produce and food. And we know the poverty gap is rising again. And I don't want um, to go back to that. And I really think ecosystem is the word I want to focus on. And markets like this one, can be really brilliant innovators and in thinking about the way to go forward. We're the canaries in the coal mine, if you like, but we can only move this forward if we involve the whole ecosystem in the dialogue about um, uh, the solution towards that. And that's everyone from consumers, traders, producers, even the dreaded supermarkets. It's all part of the ecosystem. And a lot, we'll talk about it later, a lot of people talk about Brexit and all of that, as this huge threat to our industry and to everything in it, it's also a huge opportunity 
uh, in the political and technological context we live in to make a new beginning and a new uh, compact and charter for how we'll approach these now, issues. Now, Donald is showing his cleverness and the Tate modern sort of thinking, <laughs> or the Tate family thinking, of using ecosystems in this modern sense that it's not just about ecosystems on the land, soil, biodiversity, but it's ecosystems including us, people, and indeed business uses that language a lot. That takes us again back to Robin's opening. Patrick, you've been a passionate soil man, uh, me too, but much less than you. What's your problem? I think we have to um, align our future diets, at least in relation to our staple foods, with the productive capacity of the sustainable food systems that we need to replace the ones we've got at the moment, which are wholly unsustainable because they're outside the carrying capacity of the planet. So first of all, we need to become experts in what changes in foods would result from transition to sustainable food systems, and then we need to eat those foods. And we need to eat them from farms and from farmers that are known to us as close as possible to where we live, within reason, especially if you're in London. That could include Wales, because I farm in Wales. I'm in my 44th year of farming in a reasonably sustainable way. Uh, we haven't used any nitrogen fertilizer or pesticides during that time. And my observation is that it is possible to farm in a sustainable way, build soil fertility, uh, minimize your need for non-renewable uh, stuff from outside, obey the law of return, the circular economy, and build soil fertility and produce healthy food at the same time in reasonable quantities. But we're not there at the moment, and at the moment, the best economic case is to farm in ways which, are dam which is damaging to public health and the planet. And we need to somehow change things so that to farm in the way that I'm trying to farm is possible for all farmers. And then we need to eat their food, because if we don't support them in the marketplace, they can't do it. Okay, that's very good. Now, audience... You were all looking very intent. I watched you. Uh, any questions? Anyone? Are you happy? Do you think this is capturing what you want for sustainability, sustenance, sustainable diets, sustainable food systems? Anything missing? My name's Louise, and I wondered, um, are supermarkets part of the solution? Or no, we're we... not coming to solutions not... yet. Okay. What's the problem? Oh, um... Did they capture the problem? Yes, but I'm still wondering about you the solution. You want to know what's going to happen. I want to know the answer. That's fair. We all are. That's fine. That's fine. Pass it to the next person. Can you say who you are? Hello, I'm Sue Chorley. Um, I'm very interested to what the panel think of protein and all the talk about insects being the next um, a solution. So do you th are you to, saying to in a backhanded way that there's a protein crisis coming? No, I think there's an interesting solution. No, to I didn't say solution. I said a crisis coming. <laughs> um, obviously, there's a crisis coming because the panel have highlighted that. In they didn't terms mention of the word protein. No, but they mentioned the word um, population increase and feeding those people. <laughs> okay, does everyone get this? Where this is the Neo-Malthusian argument. This is the argument there are too many people, not enough protein, but also it's been added to extra. Patrick, I know, disagrees with this, and I do partly too, but I'm out of this. 
the, the issue is, uh, can we actually have protein from the sources that we're getting it in the same way and feed ourselves sustainably? That's the question. Or, or is there an alternative source? And what do the panel think of that? Okay, we'll come to that solution. So they're desperate for solutions. Anyone else? Gentleman at the back, Claire, you're running around. Right at the back. Keep waving your hand. Claire can't see who you are yet. One problem I thought it might be interesting to address is education and the role that education can play in sort of changing our, our habits and attitudes towards food and directing them to, I guess, a more sustainable... So are you saying education is a problem at the moment? Do we have bad education? 100%. Why? Yeah. Uh, well, if, if I, I, in, in my school days, I saw how the attitudes to food were just that kids would eat the sweetest thing that they could find. Um, attitudes to healthy food are also... Um, misplaced and people don't really understand good food I think in this country and sort of seek local sourcing in so a sort of widespread scale like they perhaps should. I don't know what age you are but I'm about to be 70 and I can assure you food is a lot better now than it was in my mm. childhood. It improved while I was at school. I'm it's 27. not actually Tim. What? It's not actually. Okay come on. <laughs> I'm trying to get you going. Uh, my problem. Uh, we'll say food waste is a big part as well. Claire, that gentleman there. Hello, uh, Brenda Bromwich. Um, pa Patrick um, <coughs> mentioned uh, choices over what we eat. And the gentleman on your left uh, Donald. connected, Donald connected with the market. And then Patrick again mentioned, um, and you on the left, far left mentioned choices of what we eat. And Patrick then brought us back to the farm. So is the problem really the disconnect between the three people identified there, Good. the consumers, the traders, and the producers. Okay, so this is the mismatch question. For anyone who's not been one of my students, this is the mismatch <laughs> problem. Okay, and that is actually that where is we end good. up mostly. Uh, there was one here. My name's Patricia Michelson. Can I, can I talk about butter mountains and things like that? No, it's just that sitting here amongst us all, and we're, we're all very conscious, and we all eat well, and we all know how to shop, and we all know about sustainability and what we'd like to do. Well, there's about five people I'm sitting next to here who do, um, all those in front of me. But what I want to say is that, you know, it goes beyond that. It goes way, way beyond that. When I think about the wastage of food that governments waste... The, um, the marketing of, of food. Well, they do. They trade. You know, there's butter mountains and they're trading and there's wheat and there's everything else. And they're, they're trading all the time and they are also wasting all the time. And, you know, they'd rather waste it than give it to those that, that need it. Okay. I see Richard is about to explode. <laughs> We've got more questions. Claire in the middle. Is this helpful, panel? Are you getting full? I'm riling here. I need good, to answer yeah, yeah, some questions. Good. Your job is to wind them up, by the way. If you realise <laughs> I don't mean that. Hi. Can you say who you are? Hi, my name's Catherine. Um, I'd be really interested to understand because um, when I hear sustainable food, I, I, in my head, I think well, that, that's fine if you can afford it. Um, how uh, do you make food sustainable yes. um, for okay, those so who are already who are on low incomes? Um, and I think that leads into um, corporate food production hmm. in that 
Um, a lot of the food that is affordable is filled in not only with unhealthy food items like a lot of sugar, but uh, food items that are completely unsustainable. Okay, that's thrown. And you were back to my comment to Robin at the beginning about the social dimensions of food. Any, any other point? Two more, now you're crowding in. I'll draw this to a close and we'll let them come back. Tom Galloway, um, what do we do when healthy isn't the same thing as sustainable? Okay, good. That's, uh, Richard has a PhD in this, so I do too, so we'll get the, the lady just in front of you. Uh, my name's Stephanie. On, following on from that, what do you do when sustainable involves making choices? Like, is this high welfare or local? Or is this, I don't know, you know, sustainably grown in one way, for example let's say factory farming might be more efficient, but does it meet welfare standards? How do you make decisions between those? Okay, so the issue of standards. We've got two here. Hi, I'm Alex. Um, I wonder if one of the problems we have is that we, um, our taste in food is too exotic. We like food that's been grown all over the world and therefore they get, you know, we have travel miles and that obviously contributes to pollution and things like that. Um, I'm interested to get a perspective on uh, the fact that there's more uh, information available to us as consumers than ever, but information asymmetry makes it harder and harder to really true to find out the true sustainability of produce. Um, so I'd be interested to get a read from the panel on how, as consumers, we can do more to find out the truth. Very good. That's a good antidote to the uh, the gentleman at the back who said that we've got no education. You're you're making it a slightly different question, which is that we've got a mix of misinformation and actually information overload and distortion. That's very different. Got one more here? Uh, Katrina McMillan, sorry. Um, my question is, when you have so few companies, corporate companies owning so much of the food system, is this just a waste of time? <coughs> Diverse, small, and how effectual uh, can we expect um, these people to be? Okay, now, Ouch. The panel, if they had three hours, wouldn't be able to answer. Can you hold on? Wouldn't be able to answer all of that. But I'm going to give you turns uh, first. Richard, are you uh, game to go first? So just a couple of, pick out a couple of the points. Um, in terms of waste, what's interesting about waste is where do we think the waste is? It was interesting, your point, you're thinking it was governments. It was in, if you look at the UK, take it post-Farmgate, once it's left Patrick, 10 million tonnes. Where's the biggest source? The home. Seven million tons. Seven out of ten. Now, there's still this farm gate waste as well, so that could be another one to two million tons. We're not entirely sure. But the biggest is in the home. In the developed world, you look around, that's what you find. So it, it, it's interesting. When you start seeing the information, you start thinking about things in a slightly different way. Richard, I'm going to interrupt you because you said something very important in a throwaway. Did you notice he said in the rich world. Mm. Mm. In the poor world, there is almost no waste, by the way, well, systematically. Ah, yeah, okay, Go but I'm gonna, let me come back on that because that's... 8%. Eight, 8%. Eight yeah, and, but in the very poor world, you're right, you get very, very low very food low. waste in the home. But what's interesting is as countries are making the transition Correct. towards developed nations, so you go to Costa Rica, that's you don't think point. of Costa Rica as a particularly rich country, but where's the food waste? In the home. Yeah. You see that transition and it goes, and what's fascinating, is it wherever you look around the world so far, and the evidence we've seen, you see that transition. That's and it, right. I wonder if it's about, and this be a bit controversial, a disconnect. You know, we all probably live in big cities, 
We're not next to Patrick where we grow food. And do we value the food in the same way that we used to? And is that part of the problem? Because we don't care, I don't think, enough that we throw away all this amount of food. And that's why the issue surely comes out that you were all rightly raising, which is what's our awareness? It's not about education, it's about awareness. What's the role of food in our system? Robin, you're a restaurateur going right. What, uh, how do you take this? Well, there's a lot of it. You, you don't know, waste anything. No, that's not true. You know, we, we, you know, we wasted a substantial amount and then we need to become a sustainable business and it's about sort of being being responsible but it's for me I basically you know I step back in time when I open the restaurant in London because London is such a big market where you can buy anything you want from around the world so when I went to open our restaurant it was like I had all these suppliers coming to me saying you, you can have whatever you want whatever portion you want anywhere in the world we can source it for you and that was completely wrong that was the way the market was and I was trying to find farmers, I was trying to find like fishermen to tell me what they had when it was at its best. And that, you would not believe the difficulty of that five years ago for me. I literally had to search, I had to take six months off from working and try to source those people because I would look blankly at a supplier and say, tell me, can you just tell me what you have from a decent area? And I only want a small supplier. Can you source that? This what? is a very new phenomenon in Britain. The person who was saying it's sort of good, well, the discussion we were having earlier, it's good or bad, have things got better or worse. The remarkable thing that's happened in the last 10 years, in the last 10 years, is that, just what he's talked about, the restaurateurs are becoming a key shaper of culture and trying to make new and separate lines. It's breaking up the power of supermarkets, actually, culturally. Not economically, but culturally. But just on that note, I mean, I think, you know, what's important is, 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 is the education to the likes of supermarkets, which filters down through magazines and social media, that, you know, you don't need to have venison sort of for two or three months of the year. It, it is actually available all year round. It's seen as vermin. And it's seen as an over, you know, it's a product that's not used and not eaten. And especially in an environment now or like a lifestyle now where everybody's so concerned about weight and health, it's one of the most healthy things around. But even me, three years ago, I assumed you only had venison as game, game season being sort of late September through to January. But there's only one month in the year where you shouldn't have venison. And it's about the education and it's about people recognizing that and recognizing a product that is so, like we have so much of it that is so in abundance that it's just being killed and just either, I don't know what happens to it. Okay. But then there's this mass production of just one product, chicken okay. fillets for instance. Donald, you are in the business in the Tate, in your day job, not a share of here, uh, of basically reinvigorating British culture. Do you look upon food in the way that Robin is doing as a cultural messenger? Absolutely, absolutely essential. And you know, the narrative around this part of London is that culture and food have been the drivers of change in, in this particular area of the city. But I also think it's about future thinking as well. Artists and people involved in places like that allow us to think about what might happen in the future. So just to pick up on a couple of points, this might sound a bit incongruous. 
sitting where I am as chair of Borough Market. But I think the big debate of the 21st century will be about vegetarianism and about how technology uh, can help us develop, develop some of the things you've talked about, education and sustainable um, food sources for the planet. It's happening already with oil, with electric cars, with all sorts of different, um, in different economic spheres. It's not about corporates being bad, it's about how we control them, how we control technology and industries. And I think a massive debate for us uh, will be around that. And coupled with what the person at the back said, education, I absolutely think legislation, education, conversation are fundamental pillars of how we'll find a way to go forward with this in a sustainable way. We're not way. talking about Brexit tonight, but here we are changing our laws. This is a very, very important moment to set what laws and legal frameworks we want. But it, that can't be a tablet from Brussels or from Westminster. It has it to be something that we evolve together. It's like a social charter for the 21st century. They did it after the war. They did it in America. We can do it. Yeah, here. very good. Carolyn, you uh, think like this. You're an architect gone wrong in that respect. So you've, <laughs> you've come over to the social side. Mm. Yeah, oh yes. No, that's... What comments have you got on what people said? Um, how long have you got? I mean, it, 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 everything that everyone has said is all connected. Um, it comes down to the way we value food. We have created this artificial thing that shouldn't exist and indeed doesn't exist called cheap food. That's really what industrialization has produced and that's the problem. And it goes back to what Patrick said. I mean, it links everything together. So I think, and, and there are many reasons why we've gone down this road. It's, if you like, the capitalist vision of a good life. Uh, and this is where we've arrived. We're now running out of planet. It's not making us happy anyway. Uh, it's an absolute car crash. The difficulty is that in order to get from plan A to plan B is so scary that nobody's actually really talking about it. And I'm sitting in my bedroom at the moment getting more and more radical and revolutionary by the day. Uh, and in fact, I've, I've been reading The Anarchists, interestingly, over the last few months because they, they talk about a sort of a, a new vision of society which is about a return to good work, it's a return to collectivist control, it's a, t a sort of a joining together of what Schumacher called man the producer and man the consumer, um, and it's about basically a sort of re-establishing of ourselves as self-organizing communities in the landscape. Um, if you like, it's a kind of garden city with, with knobs on. Um, and I think the, what the internet actually gives us the possibility to do is to relook at these kinds of models that integrate city and country, that re-ask the question of what a good life is, because you've radically got to do this. And as I said before, food is absolutely at the centre of how we can affect change without a, without a convulsive revolution, although I think we do need to do certain things that might appear revolutionary. Okay. Uh, nothing radical there, Patrick. What, what are your thoughts and comments <coughs> on what people said? Well, um, I'd like to touch on the protein issue. Yeah. Um, and and I'd like to Prices try issue. to answer my own question. <clears throat> what should we eat to be aligned for our diets, to be aligned with the productive capacity of sustainably managed farms? And without... I'm allowed to say some challenging things. Of course. Hopefully, without being rude of course uh, but I think that this the debate about what we should eat has gone down a wrong 
channel in relation to the uh, very bad press that livestock have had um, in numerous reports, including FAO reports and the orthodoxy of the... One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Scientific community and agriculture has been so critical of livestock without differentiating between the intensively managed livestock, which we need to phase out like chickens and pigs that are permanently housed and fed on in awful stuff that you wouldn't even want to know about, and the intensively managed dairy cows, and I'm a dairy farmer, and the livestock without which we will not be able to have a sustainable existence on this planet in the future. And so to, to look at how that would apply on a farm, if we're going to replace the farming systems which have destroyed all the soil fertility in this mm. country and throughout the world over the last yeah. post-war period, rebuild that soil fertility, bring back nature onto the farms. We have to go back into a mixed farming, which involves a crop rotation, which has a fertility-building element, which is grass and clover in most countries, which will have to be consumed by the only animals that can turn cellulose into something we can eat, namely ruminants. They might be beef, they might be sheep, they might be dairy cows. They will eat grass, mainly grass, and we can not only eat their products with a clear conscience, we need to eat their products to enable the farmers that want to shift towards more sustainable management, so to do. And we can still have chicken, but only as an expensive treat once a month, which is what it was like in the 50s and 60s when I was growing up, and hopefully swill-fed and whey-fed pigs, but they also will be more expensive. So it's really important for you to become experts in differentiating between the sustainable livestock, which we absolutely need as an integral part of the systems which replace the ones we've got at the moment, and the unsustainable ones which need to go. And all this, you know, to talk about the new debate about vegetarianism or even veganism, and a lot of millennials are thinking that way, is, I just want to say this, it's really unhelpful in terms of enabling the farmers of this country to switch to more sustainable food systems. Can I say something else just about sustain, measuring sustainability? I think Patrick's moving on to question two. What okay. are we going to do about it? It's fine, because we're uh, going to do that now. I was very involved in the development of organic standards, <clears throat> which we, was our attempt to define sustainability from the 80s on. I now think we have to go beyond the yes-no pol polarised definitions of it's organic, therefore it's good, and if it's not organic, it's bad, 
towards a more sophisticated way of understanding the sustainability of different food systems. Yeah. So like every year I get inspected as an organic dairy farmer. In fact, my farm is the longest established organic dairy farm in Wales now. But the inspector comes and ticks all the boxes and sees to see if I've cheated and stuff. And at the end I get a yes, which is good, and I feel relieved. But I don't know whether my farming management is more sustainable than it was last year. What I want to know is whether I've got more soil fertility, whether my nutrient cycling is better, whether my biodiversity is improved, and a whole lot of stuff like that, which could be measured and then told to you on a label in a score out of 100, and you could then look at what it meant, and then you would be empowered to buy the right food from the farming systems which we need for the future. That could be overlaid onto existing certification schemes as well. So I'm not advocating the end of the organic labelling. Okay, this I'm is... Education, one last point, which is that we, our education systems are not enabling the, our children to make sense of the world in which they find themselves mm. or to know what to do about it. Mm. So the education system is failing, and we in the Sustainable Food Trust are trying to work to realign education within the curriculum so that our children can learn about some of the stuff that we're discussing tonight. Because I agree with what the other panellists have said. Food is the crucial issue of our time. It's the main contributor to climate change, the soil thing I mentioned, water depletion, biodiversity depletion, nitrogen, which is poisoning the planet. If we don't change food, we won't have a planet that's fit to live in. Okay. So you need to be the solution, because that's how it'll happen. Okay. We've moved on now to question two. Sorry. Which is, no, you've done it very nicely for me. Thank you. Um, I'm going to start again with Robin. I want you to switch now. Those of you wanting to come about solutions. Patrick's already laid out his stall. The answer lies in servicing and maintaining and rebuilding soil through food systems. Robin, what's your solution to your problem? Well, my solution is, is really thinking about everything that you buy, everything that you eat, and, and taking into consideration where it's from. Ask questions. Find out why, why are you eating this? Where does it come from? And, 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 and you need to you know, buy and eat locally. I mean, that's so you're back to the theme from the back about information and what in my world is called food literacy or food citizenship. You want well-informed, literate, critical consumers who know where their food comes from and what it should be. Yeah, well, I mean, the biggest applying thing... Pa applying Patrick's, what we call, multi-criteria approach. Well, they question the packaging. I mean, everyone goes to a supermarket and, you know... But they don't go to a restaurant to get packaging, but you get packaging. No, I do, and I, and I try to sort of... I, I, I had to argue with some of our suppliers to get rid of my packaging, and it's taken a long the long drawn out trauma of like saying please don't deliver in that please you need to take a crate deliver your stuff take that crate back and use that again but it takes so much time to do it and and that's that that's me as, as somebody that's operating in a serious level with with huge deliveries coming in all the time and boxes and polystyrene and all these sort of things and i i heard the most ingenious thing recently where uh I don't know who said it, it was a councillor in some borough of London that said, stand at your supermarket and basically rip open all of this plastic packaging at 
the conveyor belt as you're paying for your goods and just leave it there if you and do put it that, in your you own bag. If you do that, you get prosecuted, by the way. The, women, the women's environment... So what? You need a revolution. Well, no, no, maybe, maybe. I'm, I, I'm strictly neutral on this, but in the 1980s, we mm. did that sort of thing. And there was a marvellous group called the Women's Environmental Network, mm. which actually campaigned on that. One pound in ten was going on packaging. But in restaurants, you don't see the packaging, but they've had it. Yes, and we have and to pay for Donald it. Everyone knows, pays for it. Donald knows, we on the board here, the trustees here, packaging and what do we do about it? We have, what is it, 170 businesses here. About 1,000 people are employed in this market, directly and directly. There's a huge turnover of packaging. So everyone has it. The point is, is it hidden from you or do you see it? Richard, that's your cue. What's your solution to this problem of waste? to the problem of waste. Or anything. Well, I was going to actually come back to Patrick's yeah, point, if I may, because Patrick was talking about how we deliver a sustainable food system of the future, which is inherently about how we produce food. And I absolutely agree with that, because it's got to be about a solution that builds soil quality and biodiversity and reduces carbon emissions. And in my book, it's, a, it's actually a food system that consumes carbon, not produces carbon, you know, that sustains the water system. And actually also, how can we play our role in that? Because at the moment, every generation is handing over to the next generation a food system that's in the worse state than we inherited it. You know, we're not even vaguely going towards what sustainability really means, about building national capital, about building biodiversity. And what I'd like to be as part of the, the change that works towards us handing over to the next generation something that's in a better state than we inherited it. And we all need to play our part in that. So not only do we need to do it at the farming level, but it's also in the consumption level, going right the way through the food system. Yeah. So us eating healthily. And, and maybe, actually, one of the questions was in the earlier session was saying, do we eat too exotically? Yeah. Well, in our Food Futures report, what we found is actually we eat very little diversity in terms of the crops that we eat around the world. And actually what we need to do is to eat more diversely. We need to eat healthily, and to have the right proportion of protein, complex carbohydrates, in order for us to stay healthier for longer. That is also part of the solution. And actually, waste is part of that as well. And what we tended to do in waste is think about it in these compartments. You know, I've already said, oh, a lot of it's in the home. Yes, it is, but it's also in the supply chain. And it's also in the farms. What we need to do is to manage our food system so that right across it, we're minimizing waste. And when we have got vase we can't avoid, we're doing really good stuff with it, like recycling it through composting or anaerobic digestion and using that as renewable fertilizer that goes back to the soil that's part of the solution. So it's starting to think in that holistic way. That, for me, is the key. Does everyone get that? Lots of nods. Carolyn, that was part of the vision of your thinking at the end of Hungry City, which is a very good book, by the way, if you haven't read it. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, I mean, I, I, I absolutely also want to echo what Patrick said. We have to go back to a system that is, is actually working in tandem with nature. and not Do you really to think that? Forward to the past? I absolutely do, does, although I wouldn't... Are you young people, are you happy to go back to how your grannies ate? Well, we think we very don't, carefully. We don't, that's a very badly phrased question, if I may say, because we don't, actually, we don't actually have to do that. Um, 
But, but I, do, I mean, I do think that what the cultural, the, 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 the global, if you like, um, well, at any level, cultural, social, economic, uh, ecological crisis that we face at the moment, what it actually does is it does put us closer to our pre-industrial ancestors in terms of what a good life is than we've been since the Industrial Revolution. So that's one very, very interesting thing. So we can actually learn a huge amount from how people fed themselves before they invented all these wonderful ways You're of... You're not going to suggest a paleo diet, are no, you? I'm absolutely not, no, I'm totally not going to do that. But what just, I am then going testing, to say is that um, one of the... One of the Somebody would. Anyway, um, sorry, who, who would? Well, I just said, well, take fat nutrition. This is a controversial subject. Yes. Nutrition orthodoxy is that we ought to be eating plant fats. But the plant fats that we're eating, which are replacing the animal fats that our grannies used to eat, are trashing the planet. Where are we getting our plants from? Palm oil, that's causing the extinction of the great apes. Soya oil, genetically modified soya produced in the Great Plains, mining all the soil fertility. Other oils that we're getting, uh, you know, come from the other side of the world. What we used to get our fats from was from butterfat, obviously, cheese, milk, um, and beef and lamb. And they were healthy fats. Lard is a really good fat. Dripping, we now incinerate. That's not fat. a paleo diet. No, I'm not saying it is. But no, I'm but you say, sorry. I mean, fat, I... It, it, it's, it's about what our grannies eat. This plays <laughs> out on what, where we Does get our fats know from. The, it was me that set the grannies running. Uh, I live we, with a granny. We don't disagree. I mean, Does I, everyone I, know I, Michael Pollan said, eat only what your grannies should eat? Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm referring to. But, but this is really a crucial issue, where we yeah, get yeah, off fat. No, 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 what Apparently. I said was that I didn't agree with a paleo diet, yeah. which doesn't include all of those yeah. fats, because cavemen didn't farm, so they didn't have dairy. So I'm just, I'm just clarifying an important point there. But okay, anyway, go back to, to your solutions. To go back, so, so to go back to what Richard was saying, so Richard was talking about the fact that we need to, as it were, interrogate the land and ask it what it can feed us and then allow ourselves to be guided by that, which is absolutely right. He also talked about how everything is connected. And for me, um, I mean, as you said, at the end of Hungry City, I invented a word, Sitopia. I did this under duress because it, it just upset me that we didn't have a way of thinking in a connected way about how we live. We've only got utopian tradition which can't exist because it's idealistic. So I just invented the word sitopia, which means food place. And it's a way of looking at the world, looking at everything through the lens of food. And it's just a way of capturing this kind of idea that actually what we're talking about is not actually food. It's everything, it's life, as Robin said, seen through the lens of food. My solution, therefore, is that what we need is to move towards what I would call Sotopian economics. Sotopian economics would be a, an, an economics that questioned what matters about food and how we produce, and all the costs that we're paying in order to have this thing called cheap food that's actually unaffordable, but we're just paying for it in other ways, internalize the true cost of food, which I think Patrick said this earlier on, would immediately make the, the kinds of way that we produce food now that seem expensive seem like a phenomenal bargain, which in fact they are. Um, this is a revolutionary proposal because, as some, a lady said earlier, if food becomes more expensive, a whole swathe of people yeah. won't be able to afford to eat. My point is we've got to, we cannot let that stop us thinking about what a good life is. And the point is it's the wrong way up. The tail's wagging the dog. The point is not we have to have 
food that trashes the planet so poor people can eat. The point is we need a society where there aren't people who are so poor they can't afford to eat. It's the other way around. Okay, so, so that's the social analysis. It's a social... That food can't yeah. resolve society. Food has to reflect society, so therefore change society to get the food that you want. Yeah. Donald, what's your... There you are in the most, one of the most powerful cultural organisations in the world, Borough Market, no, I meant the Tate. Uh, what's, what can we do about food culture? You've Look, pitched I, that I, as a key I, I sort of said it before about some sort of compact charter, more of a... And being active and empowered in that is something that runs through everything I talk about. And I don't disagree, actually, with Patrick or what other people have said, but look, the genie is out of the bottle. There are billions of people on this planet, we have finite resources, and we need to develop a proportionate response. It's not everyone should go vegetarian or, you know, it, but, but we have to deal with that reality. And I don't think there is a right way, but there is a way. And it's about dialogue, and it's about involving us and empowering us and making us active in, um, in, in those solutions. So and the practice, Tim, yeah. here is all I can relate to. So we, you know, not huge amounts. We are recycling food every day. We're recycling waste. We're trying to do zero to landfill. We're building it incremental, our contribution to the ecosystem. It's about thinking about it, talking about it, and doing it. And to go back to the Tate, to paraphrase... Joseph Boyce, it takes thousands of brushstrokes to make a painting. And we have to just, you know, do that. as well. We have to think about it, talk about it, but we have to do it locally, act locally, think locally, and that might change. I think that's well said. The, the point there that I take you saying is this, you didn't say it, but I take you as edging into the politics of it all. This is about processes. What I'm hearing from our panel is a process of major change has to happen. Mm. Patrick, you'd agree with that? Probably more than anyone except possibly Richard, or dare I say it myself, you've uh, lobbied hard to get the politicians to change the aspirations of the British food system. Do you think you're winning? No, um, I think um, I've, I've lobbied um, unsuccessfully over decades and um, weirdly enough, in the present Secretary of State, Michael Gove, uh, although uh, he was uh, passionately Brexit and I'm passionately anti-Brexit, uh, I think he's almost everything he's said he, since he's become Secretary of State has been right on food and agriculture. But the question is, uh, whose voices um, will he listen to and what will he do? Um, I don't think it really makes any difference whether we're Brexit or Remain. The food systems we have need fundamentally transforming. So if you want to describe it as an opportunity, I suppose it is. But frankly, we had to do it anyway. So let's do it. And I think we need uh, a policy environment which shifts the balance of advantage towards farmers who want to do the right thing in terms of sustainability and public health. The moment we've got the opposite. If you want to make profit as a farmer, you probably farm industrially. And the supermarkets and the food industry are the same. They... They treat farmers as commodity slaves and buy very cheap food, which forces the farmers to do the wrong thing. And then they make it completely anonymous, process the hell out of it, and brand it, which means you've got no knowledge where the food came from, and it's bad for you. And that's, how they, that's the only way they can make money. So we need to create an, an economic and policy environment where you know where your food comes from. So if you shop in a supermarket, which is fine, 
make sure you try to ask the supermarket where your food comes from, actually who produced it, because it's incredible how little of the food you can buy in a supermarket at the moment where you have any knowledge about either where it came from, who produced it, or um, the okay. method of production. So I think we need uh, taxes on practices which are damaging to the environment and public health. We could recycle that money and pay it through the, the, the social security check that farmers get every year, which is called Pillar One, which is like 80% of all the money we get from the EU at the moment. It's just like, as long as you don't break the law, you get it. We don't want to abolish that money. We want to make it conditional on farmers doing things which are beneficial to us and to the soil and to the environment. Okay, and if we I'm can get Ma add, Michael Go to do that, be I'm good. I'm going to add a dose of reality here. If Patrick wants 80% of the £3 billion pounds that currently goes to farming, think again. Well, the uh, yes, I let do. Me, and let me just say the Treasury will not happen. allow it to happen. It's I dead. will not allow it's it to happen. Dead. <laughs> it's Listen, dead. This needs it's to dead. stay. The Treasury and whatever is mood music is, Patrick, it needs stop. to stay. <laughs> Thank you. I've because it's nothing. Shh. What we've got is a crisis unfolding in, in our environment and our Patrick, food. you and, can go sorry. on about it for as long as you like. The Treasury has already said Pillar 1 is dead. You're only going to get 20% of the 3 billion. Well, and I'm glad to be reality. passionate about it for you because okay. you need to know how wrong that is. <laughs> okay, now we're getting to the reality of it. How much money do you, the audience, think farmers get of the £204 billion that the British spend on food every year? Tell me. Guess. Guess. Someone shout or something. Four billion? No. Shout. How much? One billion? No. Three billion? Out of 204 billion pounds, even Patrick <laughs> couldn't say it's that little. It's about 15% of the gross value added. Actually, it's about 13%. Of the gross value added in the British food supply chain. That means as food is grown by people like Patrick or taken out of the sea by fisher folk, as it goes up, everyone adds something or takes more money out of it. The gross value added, farming gets precisely 7.8%. Do you want me to repeat that? 7.8%. It's tiny. Part of the financial problem of farming is it's subsidized to stay poor. And don't that is that. actually, he won't agree with what Carol no, arguing about this. We're I just think there's been a massive uh, misunderstanding, a misdirection of the common agricultural policy by successive governments. It's nothing to do with Tory or Labour or anything. And if we were able to redirect the funds that we're spending on farmers without expecting much back, which it, how that came about is a long story and, you know, we haven't got time to discuss it but we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's no doubt that the money that you're paying in your taxes to farmers at the moment is misspent, but it could be well spent, and we need it. And it's not just about a conspiracy between the food industry to keep farmers poor. It's just the tragedy of getting things wrong. And so we shouldn't abandon hope that we need to support food and farming, which is about public health, it's about the environment, it's about climate change, it's about everything that we've been talking about tonight. Okay. We need okay. to really fight for this. Patrick. Okay, he and I meet again in Abergavenny at the Food Festival. We will mm -hmm. carry on arguing about that. I'm equal to him then. Now, any questions? Did you like the solutions they were coming up with? Mm. They were coming up with radical transformation. <coughs> Sybil. 
I'm Sybil Kapoor, and I'm partly responsible for this, so if you're enjoying it. I have a very simple question, which I have for all of the panel, one after the other. It seems to me that what you're actually saying is that you need consumers to change how they behave. Yeah. And if you get that behavior, you will get political change, you will get commercial change, etc. That's it. So the question is, how do you change people's perception? And I would give two examples of this. One is, I remember years ago when GM food first appeared, Joanna Blythman and various other people really campaigned against Sainsbury's using GM products and people boycotted them and they were withdrawn. The other example, which is the opposite, is that, again, I think it was probably the 80s, everybody started using water bottles because it was seen as cool and trendy and everybody had to drink water. And now we have a massive problem with plastic water bottles. Mm. So how do you get people to really say, I want to have sustainably produced food and I want less packaging? Mm. Very good. More questions? Uh, Hi, my name is Patrick. Um, You've spoken between you about stuff like uh, what the good life is and uh, whether we need to change what that definition is. Uh, You've spoken a lot about soils and improving the soils and about kind of grassroots ideas like us consumers all changing the way that we behave or what we want. Um, I was wondering what your views are on whether it's possible to have a technological or economical um, disruption, you know, like Uber or something else um, which could provide a solution. I mean, there's, um, there's warehouses in Brooklyn with hydroponic fa- uh, farms and we've got shop open in Dalston the other day with uh, no packaging at all. Um, so I guess my question is, can I have my avocado and eat it? <laughs> uh, can you say who you are? Uh, hi, I'm Stephanie. Sorry, multiple questions tonight. Um, one of the things I was curious about was, so for farmers who aren't organic, the 95% of UK farmers who farm conventionally, some of them get a small proportion of farming money for environmental practices on their farms should we as shoppers be able to see that and be able to choose that food and should that be communicated publicly and then going back to the packaging conversation how can we communicate sustainable food if we don't have packaging to put labels on (laughs) well that's the paradox isn't it Mm. (laughs) so my name is sky and i appreciate the focus on the good life and revisiting what that means Um, And we've talked about the importance of consumer choice, but given all these different considerations, carbon, welfare, soils, how would you recommend eating without kind of constant anxiety? (laughs) Mm. Very good. Mm. (laughs) The gentleman behind you. Hi, my name is David Jerez. Um, I think you alluded to in terms of talking about redistributing the the agricultural policy monies, uh, the gentleman on the right. Patrick. um, how can we change people's behaviours if we don't change the gap that there is to the cost to the, uh, to the consumer's cost of buying something sustainable versus buying something that's not sustainable? To me, we can't do that unless we start taxing consumption more and redistributing the additional tax revenues uh, into businesses that generate sustainable food stuffs. So there's there's got to be direction from government? Who's going to do that? Mr. Tesco or Mr. Gove? The the problem is it's not popular because it will make food more expensive. But at the same time, if we shift taxation from income to taxing consumption and reduce income taxes for lower and middle income people, you suddenly make it a 
tenable proposition to make put more money into people's pocket while uh, evening the price between non-sustainable and sustainable foods. Okay, there are, you're probably aware, by the way you're talking, there's a very big debate within political economy about exactly that. Actually, is the problem of food and farming and agriculture and the price of food resolvable only by the state, by fiscal management, by redirection of taxes? And I'm waiting, Claire, for the thing to go to the gentleman at the back. Oh, there we go. Tim. Hi, I'm Tim Nugent. Um, my question is very, very practical. I, when I go shopping, I see folks walking through the aisles of stores who have three or four children in tow. Um, they worry about clothing themselves, housing themselves, educating their children. And yet, we, we're asking them to make changes about their food policy and the, and the way they think oh, yeah, about yeah. food. They're just thinking very practically about how I survive. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about the lower um, classes and the lower income people. We're very fortunate to be able to sit here and talk about all this stuff, but they don't have time. Yeah. They're trying yeah. to clothe, house, and feed their people. How do you get to them? Is it just by changing the system and it kind of trickles down, to use an awful term? Or do you go to them and help educate them on, at, at their level in their needs? Okay, very good question. Thank you. The gentleman at the back, and then we'll come to the panel. Hi, uh, I have a question about um, being a, uh, someone who comes to Borough Market all the time. There's some amazing kind of uh, change in the way that food is being presented. It's quite aspirational, definitely capitalizing on millennials and people. Uh, wanna, saving the planet's cool, right? It's not such a sort of fuddy-duddy thing anymore. But there's, there's continues to be an attack on any brand that's trying to do something sustainable. People seem to want to poke holes and question how sustainable they really are. I just wonder what is the obsession with, for brands that are trying to do the right thing, why do people want to always kind of like counteract that with really exposing them? Okay, that's a very thoughtful question. What we've got, and we're beginning to wrap up now, what we've got is a very sophisticated analysis that the way forward for the food system for a rich country like Britain is what we call multi-criteria approach. Mm. It's got to be about health, environment, social values, transformation of economics, better and different governance, but fundamentally it comes back to the issue of taste and quality as well. This is a complex system mm -hmm. and a complex answer. Now, this is your fault, panel, because you've started this running. Robin, what's your solution? You've got one minute with the Prime Minister. Okay. Okay, Mr. Gove, what do Look, you want her or him to do? I, I just think we, you know, one listening minute. to all of these questions, we need to step back in time. And really, it, it, it's about evaluating what to do with food and how to, how to work with it. And... There's so much wastage out there where there's offal not being used, the whole of the fish is not being used, fish heads being thrown in the sea. So your message to the Prime Minister, because she would interrupt you, I can tell you, <laughs> is waste? No, it's everything. It's, it's education. It's values? It's education. What's your one message? My one message is, 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 is learning and teaching and looking back in time and figuring out how do we survive, you know, sort of pre-industrial era where we were living and surviving. And I think it answers a lot of questions about what do we do when, when there's a family that can't afford the premium, uh, the premium cuts of meat or fish. Well, what happens to all the offal? The offal is thrown away. There was or a famous occasion, the first woman, anyone know who the first woman MP was in Britain? 
Well done, Nancy Astor. She used to go around and give speeches telling the poor to eat cod's head fish soup. <laughs> okay? And she stopped doing it when someone heckled her in the, in the crowd and says, who eats the cod? <laughs> that politics is with us still. Richard, one so, minute with Mr. Gove. So I'm going to answer some questions first, actually, Tim. Just give me that. I, I'm just talking about changing behavior. And I think that there are a couple of things, because one of the things you can easily walk away from this discussion and think, there's nothing I can do. It's just all too complicated. They've all told it. So the simple things, waste, waste less. Yeah, it'll save us lots of money. It saves us lots of the environmental impact. So that's the first thing. The other thing, if we eat more healthily, it was coming back to the gentleman's question, I think about how do you make it easy for people, you know, eat more veg, you know, get the right balance between meat and dairy and complex carbohydrates. Those sorts of things will make us healthier and live And it's also part of the solution. So we can do things now that will help going down that particular rate. And I'm just going to say something positive about packaging. Actually, packaging helps us do all this. It is part of the solution. You know, we've got resealable packs. We've got stuff that gives us long lifetimes that gives us the opportunity to eat the food that we buy. So I think that's also part of it. Yeah, do I think it should be recyclable? Yes, I do. Do I think it should be minimum amount of materials? Yes, I do. But that's all got to be part of the solution. And by the way, let's not put food into landfill, for goodness sake. Let's recycle it. Let's put it through AD, put it through composting. Does There's everyone three know what things AD is? now. Everyone know what AD is? Sorry, anaerobic digestion. I do apologize, Tim. Thank you. So there are three things we can do today that will all be about the solution. Now, if I was going to talk to Mrs. May, my first thing is just think systematically. That's what it's all about. Let's not just partition it. Think systematically. My lips are sealed to what she's saying to people at the moment, but you can speak to me afterwards privately. Carolyn. Um, I would like to echo uh, what Richard just said. Very important point. That, that sm the beautiful thing about food is that tiny little changes do make a real difference. So the whole point of sitopia, this word I invented, which, by the way, I didn't explain, comes from sitos, which is the Greek word for food, and topos for place. So sitos, topos, you don't need the toss in the middle, so you just shove it together, it becomes utopia. Anyway, but the whole point of it was so that... what do you want Mrs May to do? What I want Mrs May to do is to set up a ministry of food. And Does everyone go along with that? Well, Would that make a difference? Well... Keep going. Can I tell you what it is? Yeah. It's, it's actually a ministry that has links to all the other ministries. It's a kind of central thing. I mean, I've just been reading up about how Britain fed itself during the war. I mean, very, very interesting example. People don't like being told how to weep, but if their lives are on the line, it's amazing what they do. Um, we, we don't really see food. and I mean, politicians are terrified of food because there's good reason. You know, various emperors got deposed. King Louis XVI had his head chopped off for, for being held responsible for feeding people. So politicians will run 100 miles away from food if they possibly can. We mustn't let them. Actually, it's the most important thing they need to be dealing with. It really, really is. So I would just say to Mrs May, I'd shove her up against the corner of the lift, press the stop button... And give a what for about, you know, you cannot walk away from this. Stick it central to your policy and make everything else refer to it. I like the image of that, but my <laughs> understanding is she resists. <laughs> Donald. Yeah. Two quick things, just a personal thing. Yes, you, yes, we can have our avocado 
and eat it. But be careful, and I'm a historian, so I, these water fountains are nothing new. It's just an old idea reinvented. We need to look to the past. We need to engage with the future. But beware of the rigged economy, the Ubers of this world. That is not the future. And beware of automation. There's ways to use technology. It's not the rigged economy. If I was um, with Theresa May in a meeting, I think I would echo what Caroline and others said. Um, be brave enough to legislate, instigate a national conversation and an educational pro um, dialogue around food and the future of food and sustainability and waste. Now, they said you could never make uh, buildings, old buildings, fit for disabled people to use. That was wrong. They said people would never wear safety belts. People all wear safety belts. I know about the plastic bottles. Um, they said people would never stop smoking in bars and public spaces. They stopped. You've got to combine a bit of a stick with a big carrot and give people the power. Very good. Now, Patrick, you were a grower of carrots, so that's a wonderful <laughs> lead to you. Mrs. May, 30 <laughs> seconds. Mr. Gove, 30 seconds. Uh, I would say that to them that the future health and prosperity of this nation and its environment depends on the government leading the transformation, the fundamental transformation of our food system starting immediately. There are specific actions that could be taken where public health bills, treatment costs would be saved, uh, where uh, mental health would improve, uh, where physical health would improve dramatically and we could invest in the education of our children in parallel with that. And if we did that, and we did it now, um, we could emerge once again as a great nation. If we don't, we won't. And I really do believe that uh, food and farming is going to become a political issue much sooner than is widely realized. I think we're on the cusp of that happening. So I would beg her to take action. I think it's in her political interest to take action, and that of Michael Gove. Okay, very good. Now... Are you convinced? <laughs> They're all looking very serious. You should see your faces. Are you convinced? No one's convinced. Do you think it's not doable? This is nothing less, they're saying nothing less than a great food transformation. I think, of course, it's doable, but it's a huge mountain to climb. And That's it's right. Like, where do we begin? There's some amazing ideas there, so thank you to That's all of you. That's very good. That um, is absolutely right. And I used a phrase, I declare an interest. I was late and nearly caused Claire kittens because I was finishing the Lancet Commission's report on healthy diets from sustainable food systems, which is coming out next spring. And the phrase that it will lead on is the great food transformation. Yeah. Nothing else shows from the evidence but that, that everything your panel has said has got to happen. This is the biggest change that's ever happened in the food system and it has to happen in about 20 to 30 years or else we are done for. That's what the data say. So on that very sober but very optimistic note, I'd like you to thank the panel very much. Thanks for listening to the Borough Market Podcast. You can find much more about the traders and the market by going to boroughmarket.org.uk. And while you're there, do subscribe to the podcast.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.